You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning, good morning. All right. Well, hey, boy, that's quite an introduction on that video, isn't it? Makes me feel like I'm walking out being bad to the bone in this thing. Uh, Hey, it's great being with you this morning. If you're new, so glad to have you. My name's Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor, founding pastor, and it's kind of a special season for us. Uh, My wife and I planted the church nine years ago, and so September 23rd marked the anniversary of that. And next year, we're going to have a big uh, celebration and the 10-year anniversary. And so we're grateful to God for what he's been able to do in the last nine years. My wife and I moved out here uh, from Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, was in Dallas, Texas for a number of years, and we were able to get out here and start this church. It's been inc- crazy cool. So as you drove in, you saw the campus, and it looks like it's under uh, r- you know, pr- uh, all sorts of projects going on. Uh, that building that you passed out, uh, passed uh, by uh, is the last and the largest existing building on our campus, and we're renovating that, and we're hoping to get that. That'll be a multi-purpose building for our church, for kids and youth, and we'll use it for educational space as well. Um, and it's really going to double the size for our kids' programs, our youth programs, so we're excited about that. So I want to say give a special thanks to you all. We hope to have that open before Christmas, so let's celebrate the generosity of what's going on. Yeah, and so we're excited about that, and uh, so today we're jumping into the Gospel of John again, and so we're in uh, chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Um, How many of you guys have ever read the Gospel of John before? Would you just raise your hand? Yeah, so it's it's really unique. It's uh, what John has to say. He's an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He's the nearest and dearest, uh, closest person to Jesus Christ, and so... uh, he uh, presents uh, unique information uh, that Matthew and Mark and Luke, the other gospel writers, actually don't include. Uh, so, so much of what he has to say is so insightful. Does, just because it's unique, it doesn't mean it's in competition of, it just complements uh, what it is. Uh, John closes out his, uh, his gospel and basically says, if we were to record all the events and the details that happened in the life of Jesus Christ, there's probably not a library in the world that could hold it. And so today what we're doing is we're looking at what does it mean uh, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, um, Most of us would probably say that we are uh, believers in Jesus Christ, but the question is, is are we disciples? And is there a difference? I I think there is. I think about uh, perhaps the guys that were, uh, the Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, that there was two criminals, one on his left, one on his right, being crucified Uh, with him, uh, they profess faith in Jesus Christ at the last moment before they die. Uh, They are believers in Jesus. Jesus says, today I will see you in, help me out, Paradise. paradise. So they believed and they receive salvation. How many of us know believers that literally, like, their they're, they're, they're faith in Jesus Christ, it's just like they've got the admission ticket, they get into heaven, but they don't really live much like a Christian? Would you raise your hand? Do you know folks like that? Some of you are shy to say that. Let's try that again. Do you know folks that they profess Jesus Christ as Lord, but they really don't live it very well? It's okay to acknowledge that. And some of us would say, that's me. I don't live it very well, uh, but I do believe. Uh, my we uh, my uh, 
we've got several family members that uh, believed in Jesus Christ and really didn't live out the faith very well. Uh, Are they genuine believers? I I think that you could be a genuine believer and barely show anything in your life that looks like you're really a Christian. I I think there ought to be fruit in your life, but the criminals on the cross kind of serve as a case study that you can be a Christian and really not do much in the Christian life and you're still going to heaven. But then there's this thing called a disciple. Well, what is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, listens to Jesus, seeks Jesus, wants to learn from Jesus. Are they Christians? Oh, yes, they're Christians. What do they receive? They receive salvation. What else do they receive? They receive, I believe, what Jesus said, abundant life to the fullest, here and now and later and then. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, how Jesus calls the first disciples. I want to read this section of scripture in John chapter 1 as an overview, and then I'm going to walk through five characteristics of what does it look like to be a disciple, not just a believer, but a disciple. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 35, I'll read it and then again come back through it. It says, the next day, uh, next day again... John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And I preached on that last week. The two disciples uh, heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Uh, I want to walk back through that passage just for a moment and uh, highlight to you five characteristics of what it means to be a disciple. Verse 35, again, it says, the next day, again, uh, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is uh, John the Baptist. He's preaching and teaching near the Jordan River. He's a wild man, uh, tons of charisma. Crowds and crowds of people are coming out to see this man. He's preaching about the Messiah. It was uh, expectation that there could be a Messiah. Uh, The Jewish folks uh, 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 were hoping that maybe this new Messiah would come and overthrow the corruption of Rome and set up a new kingdom. Uh, They were very excited, and John is a forerunner And he is preaching, and these two of his disciples uh, will find out at least the clarity of one will be Andrew. Uh, The other is probably John, the author of the Gospel of John. So there's two Johns, don't get confused uh, too much, but John the Baptist is the preacher who's baptizing folks, and then there is John, the author, who also is later the Apostle John the nearest and dearest to Jesus. He was the author of the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, and so on, and Revelation. And so 
Here we go, verse 36, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Um, that statement right there is probably going to draw a lot of interest. Uh, a lot of folks uh, understood that uh, sacrifices were made to uh, deal with sin. And here, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. And so the disciples that were following John now are interested in Jesus. And so look what happens. The first characteristic of being a disciple, we'll look at uh, these two disciples, uh, Andrew and John, is uh, as case study. The first characteristic that we see with them is a, a directional characteristic. They make a change. Watch this. Verse 37. The two disciples heard him, that is John the Baptist, they heard John say this, and they followed, help me out, Jesus. They didn't follow John anymore, they followed Jesus. It was a directional shift in what they were doing. They were disciples of John, now they're disciples of Jesus. I would argue that being a disciple means absolutely that you follow Jesus Christ in every area of your life. There's a constant readjustment and reassessment in your life that you have to look at. I want to leave this old way of living. I want to live this new way in living. And to follow Jesus Christ means that he is your directional leader. The one that you look to for direction is Jesus. If you're going to be a disciple and not simply a believer, you're not going to go your way. You're going to go God's way. The difference between a believer and a disciple is the disciple's always going to choose and seek to realign the direction of his life or her life in the pattern and in the footsteps and the direction of Jesus Christ. They left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. They left one life and they followed another. Uh, I can remember when we first moved out here uh, to Phoenix, uh, we were in a sense just chasing God's direction in our life uh, for what he had for us. We didn't know a single soul when we moved out here. And one funny story was, I, I was uh, we were driving across this, the state line, and uh, I think it was a window rock area on I-40, I and this beautiful area. And my kids are about five years old at the time. And I said, sweetie, let's pull over. I feel like Jesus Christ has called us to this place. We had already made the decision. We'd already done the preparation. And I wanted to, when we cross that state line, slow down just for a moment and take it all in and maybe have a little ceremony of such to signify the moment of coming to the land that God has called us to. So we pull over the car, got the big U-Haul, the dogs, all the furniture, everything ready to go. Uh, some 10 years ago, pull over, I grab up, I say, sweetie, let's, let's do this. And she's like, we got five, you know, we've got two five-year-old twins at the time. She's like, Ryan, what do you want to do? I say, this is going to be a special ceremony. She says, okay, let's do this. So I say, let's grab some dirt from the ground. And we held it up. And I said, this is the land God has called us to. And she's like, that's great. I'm happy. We, we've got two five-year-olds. We got to keep moving. And, uh, I said, you know what, let's save this dirt and, and let's save it as a, a sacred remembrance that God, Jesus Christ has called us to a new direction in life and we'll remember it forever. And memorials are very important as a believer that you create memories and memorials. So uh, 
one of my kids had a little cup or Coke bottle or whatever, and I said, let me see that, and I'll, I'll pour the Coke, or the, pour the, uh, it was empty, and I said, we'll pour the dirt in there, and uh, later we'll save it, and one day when I have an office, we'll, we'll put it on the, the mantle, and we'll always remember this is the land. So we drive down the road just a little bit ways, and I pull over, and I say, you know, hey, let me see that dirt, uh, that, that sacred soil, you know, there's nothing really sacred about it, but I said, let me see that sacred soil. I'd like to just be praying for our state and our city as we're driving into Phoenix Valley. And my daughter said, oh, daddy, I poured that out a long time ago down the highway. <laughs> and I'm like, well, there that goes. Um, my point in saying all that is, is uh, it's incredibly important for you to have memories of making decisive directional changes in your life. The Christian life is a journey and uh, there'll be different seasons, mountains to climb, valleys to descend to, hardships that you will go through. And you need memorials to remember the importance of your decisions to follow Jesus Christ. Um, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to need a directional change. Uh, I want to show you uh, this passage in Scripture uh, to highlight this again with the uh, a story from the Gospel of John. I'm not going to have it on the screen, but if you turn in your Bible to John chapter 8, I want to show you a massive directional change in the life of a woman who's deep in sin. She's caught in adultery, and Jesus Christ is going to call her to a brand new life. John chapter 8, verse 1. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this uh, to test him, and that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and he wrote uh, with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus uh, confronted them, said, if you don't have any sin in your life, go ahead and stone her. Soon as they realized that they were sinners just like her, Maybe not the same sins, maybe not the same repercussions of sins, but they were sinners too. You could hear those stones drop on the ground and they walked out. But notice what Jesus did. He called her out of a life of sin and then he says, you're going to live a brand new life. You don't need to live like that anymore. You don't need to sleep around. You're not going to fill your heart with happiness and goodness by sleeping with other men. And then if you look in verse 12, I find it very interesting Jesus uses it as a teaching moment in verse 12, and it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What's going on here? It's a directional shift. He, he pointed out to this woman that she needed to leave a life of darkness and to walk in the light. And then he says, I'm the light of the world, and whoever would follow me, they're not going to walk in darkness anymore. They're going to walk in the light. My question to you is what directional shift needs to happen in your life to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ? Maybe there's an area that you've been walking in darkness, and Jesus isn't going to condemn you. Jesus is going to cleanse you. He wants to purify you. He wants you to walk in the light. And we think and we sink in the shadows at times and think, go ahead and condemn me. I'm guilty. That's not the way of Jesus. He says, follow me. But if you follow me, we're not going to walk in the darkness. We're going to walk in the light. As a Christian, there needs to be a directional shift for your life. Number two, the second characteristic of what it means to be a Christian is there's an educational uh, characteristic of your life. You're constantly seeking to learn. If you don't fill your mind with biblical truth and uh, the truth about who Jesus Christ is, you'll be like a, a wave in the sea tossed to and fro. You'll have no uh, stability. You'll have no strength. You'll have no witness. Notice what the disciples say in verse 38. It says, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, Watch this. It's a directional question. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Those words spoke to me like God himself spoke to me this week. What are you seeking, Ryan? What do you want in life? My question is to you as a believer, well, no, better yet, my question to you as a disciple, is what are you seeking in the Christian life? Are you seeking the, the benefits of the Christian life? Uh, you want happiness? We all want happiness at some level. Are you seeking comfort? You want peace and tranquility. You want uh, good relationships. You want financial stability. What are you seeking? What if our statement and response was, I'm seeking Jesus Christ in whatever direction he points me and that's the direction I'll go. That is the sign and the testimony of strong Christian faith. When I uh, first uh, was evaluating whether I would propose uh, to my wife uh, to be, I said to her, I gave her a test on direction. I said, sweetie, would you be willing to go with me to Alaska if God called us to go? And she said, yep. I said, man, that was easy. I said, would you be willing to go to Europe and plant a church in Madrid, Spain? She said, sure, I'd be willing. I said, Man, this is easy, okay. But you know what? She said, my dad was in the military and he got his assignments and he took them. The way I look at it is when God gives an assignment, you do it. I thought that's the kind of woman I want to be with. So who's your king? Do you follow direction? Can you submit do you understand the chain of authority, the chain of command? If you don't, you're not a disciple. You might be a believer, and you may get in, and I won't be the judge on whether you get into heaven or not. I'm just saying, disciples submit. Disciples say, you're the teacher, I'm not. 
I'm the student. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to look to you for direction. It's an educational experience. Look, and Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, and John the apostle translates this and says, which means teacher, they say, where are you staying? Where are you staying? Jesus asked a question. They respond with a question. In other words, it's kind of like, they're like, how much time you got, Jesus? I remember in college, I'd go up to the professors after the lecture, and it was very deep and profound, and I would say, you know, um, I got a question for you about, you know, this and that you mentioned in the deal. Is there any way I could spend more time with you to work through this? Oh, okay, sure. See me on my hours. You see it in the syllabus. You can come visit me, and we'll talk about it. Uh, these guys uh, want an education. Perhaps they're baffled about the idea when John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God. Maybe that's what they really wanted to figure out with Jesus. Like, what does that really mean? We've never really heard anybody preach like that. Uh, John the Baptist was our leader, but he pointed to you and said, you're the guy to follow. And so we're, we, we need time with you. I remember when I first became a Christian, it was like an entire re-education for me. I had to unlearn a lot of things that were not good and great or wholesome. And I had to re-educate myself and make myself a student of Jesus. And I remember distinctively, my early Christian formation was Friday nights all alone. I was a capital L-O-S-U-E-R, and I could barely even spell loser, but I was a capital L loser. I lost all my friends. And I would study the Bible because I was terrified that I would miss my chance to really know Jesus Christ. I watched my friends overdose on drugs, act like fools. And some of them went and got rich in the tech days of building cell towers. And I watched them build businesses and make too much money and destroy their lives with too much money. And I needed a re-education, and I prayed to God that he would give me a hunger for education. And from that moment on, I think the Lord just did like a revamp on my mind. And I went into college, made the dean's list, and then I went on and got two masters from Dallas Seminary. And it was a re-education. What I've learned is that as disciples are going to seek truth out, they're truth hunters. If you cut them, they'll bleed Bible. They, they, they love truth. They love it. True disciples are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I mean, the Bible is incredible. There's 40, some 40 different authors. It's written over uh, 1,500 years and inspired by one divine author. And it tells this incredible story from beginning to end. There's none like it. We could dedicate your whole life to just study the Gospel of John. It's deep enough for an elephant to swim in and it's shallow enough for an infant to wade in. Uh, it's something there for all of us. If a disciple doesn't have an education, then Jesus really isn't a teacher to them. Jesus is just a, a great example. But disciples say, Jesus, you're the master teacher. Number three, the disciple, the third characteristic of being a disciple is just relational. A deep sense of relationship. Verse 39 says, he, Jesus, said to them, come and you will see. 
Jesus extends an invitation, the teacher to the student, come and you'll see where I'm staying. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. A couple interesting comments on that passage is uh, John is very likely uh, the other disciple. It's Andrew and it's John. And John records the very detail of time. Uh, I think this is Roman time, which would have been about 10 a.m. because they spend the whole day with him. Um, In the Jewish uh, time frame, it could be 10 p.m. It seems more logical to me, knowing who John's audience is. It's probably going off of Roman time. The point is, is that uh, these disciples want to spend time with them. And it's so significant to them that when uh, John is writing this gospel account of Jesus Christ, he remembers the day, he remembers the hour, he remembers the place. So I ask you, where were you when Jesus showed up in your life? Do you remember? I remember for me when everything changed. I was in the mountains of Colorado and I looked up at the skies and I said, Lord, I don't understand. I thought I was a Christian. I thought I knew you. And in that moment, the Lord spoke to me, not in an audible voice, and said, you never knew me. Whoever uh, will find his life must lose it. And whoever loses his life for me, Ryan, that's the person that's going to find it. Where were you? Do you remember? Disciples uh, hunger and thirst for a relationship. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. John chapter 15 is a is a core foundational passage for you to understand that if you want fruitfulness in your life, you want to be effective in life, you need to be deeply rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think about this. Uh, uh, I recall uh, one of the folks that I think models this so well is a lady in our church by the name of Sarah Beekman. She loves Jesus Christ so much, she talks to you as if she met with him that morning and has something to tell you about how when she was learning from the Lord that morning. It's that fresh. Well, when I was meeting with the Lord this morning, I really sensed and something was going on. I just wanted to reach out and pray for you and tell you what was going on in my life. And, and you can sense the power of the Holy Spirit in these kinds of meetings like this and conversations. And why is that? It's because a disciple was spending time with the teacher. That's why. Um, where are you? Are you relationally connected to Jesus Christ? And that's what I see in the disciples. I see a hunger and a thirst, a directional shift. I see that they're ready to start pursuing him, and they're ready to grow in their knowledge and educate themselves and learn from teacher Jesus, and then they want a relationship with him. Can we stay with you? Can we spend time with you? If you're a disciple, you want to spend time with Jesus. If you're a believer, just a believer, Doesn't matter. You got your ticket, you're in. We'll see you in heaven. I mean, I do think I'll get to heaven and I'll be like, man, I can't believe that guy is here. And then I'll be like, and you're here? Wow. And then I'll be like, and where are those guys? Where's that gal? They're not here. I think we'll be surprised. But I don't want to miss it. I want a relationship now, right now. I want the best life now. And I know the better life is coming. Amen? Number four, the fourth characteristic of being a disciple is an invitational uh, opportunity for you to realize that the message, the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't stop with you. If it's so good, you're going to get other people there. Uh, In college, we talked to all our friends, you got to take this professor. He's so good. She's so great. 
She actually breaks it down. She doesn't belittle us when we ask and raise our hands and ask questions. You got to take it. Or that teacher's easy. Let's sign up for that course. But people wanted to spend time with Jesus Christ. He is now the new sensation. John the Baptist is fading in the background. John will say, John the Baptist will say, he, that is Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. He did his job. Uh, And disciples are excited and they want to invite. Watch this, verse 40 through 42. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. I think uh, one of the characteristics of being a true disciple is you want other people to know and follow Jesus. You want them to know. You care about it. Who did you invite to follow Jesus Christ when you became a Christian? Who, who did you reach out to to say, look, I'm really experiencing something great here. I think you should explore this with me. I remember I got home from Colorado and I called my younger brother. I said, Dave, you got to come to my house tomorrow. I got to tell you what happened. I met Jesus. And he said, seriously? <laughs> Really? I said, no, I'm dead serious. You got to come over. He came over and I pleaded with him. I said, you're going to have to follow Jesus with me, man. And David made some major decisions, some directional shifts in his life. And he had to unlearn a lot of things about the Christian life because it wasn't really Christian. And then he had to completely surrender uh, to, to uh, following Jesus Christ, and then we grew together. We started ministries together. We ran companies together, and then we started a church together. That's exactly what happens in the New Testament. Andrew, the brother of Peter, Peter's the guy that's on the stage. He's the guy that's going to uh, preach, and 3,000 will come to faith in Christ. And Andrew is just the guy who brings one person at a time to Jesus Christ. He's mentioned a three different times in the Gospels. One time, he brings his brother to Jesus. The next time, he uh, have a crisis. They have so many people there. They need food uh, for a miracle. And Jesus uh, is thinking, okay, what's going to happen? He punts to the disciples, and the disciples don't know what to do. And then Andrew says, there's a boy over here. He's got some bread and some fish, and he brings that boy to Jesus. And again, there's another incident when Andrew brings another person to to Jesus when other people can't figure it out. And here's what I love. I think this is a powerful characteristic for every Christian disciple is this, is it's the small things. I think Andrew is probably a far greater example of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus because the average church, the average Christian can make a real big difference if they just settle on the one. I can help bring one person to follow Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying you stop there, but I'm just saying uh, most of us aren't like the Peters that stand on the stages and preach and do all sorts of crazy, amazing, cool things that are get all the spotlight and the glory. But I think the greatest story of this seeing uh, Peter is that he had a brother that reached out to him and said, I'm going to bring you to Jesus. Your faith should be invitational. Your Christianity should be invitational. 
I think of a story of a guy in our church, uh, Matt and Carrie Ann Hansen. They're a married couple. They lead a community group, and they've got an incredible story in our church. They came on uh, one of the first Sundays that we started the church, and a really cool story with Matt and Carrie Ann. They were always inviting people to come and follow and know Jesus with them, no matter where they were at in their faith. And I didn't ask uh, permission for this, but I know I'm good enough, and I'm going to tell the story of my friend Tommy. And Tommy was right next door, and uh, he has gone through a real hardship and a hard season in life, and Matt and Carrie Ann moved in, and they're the new Christians on the block. And they walk across the street and befriend Tommy and say, you got to come to our, our get-together. And Tommy, the way he tells it, he goes, I didn't know I was being ambushed. It was like a Bible study. I just thought there was food there. And uh, he comes in and it takes place over a period of months. He hears the testimony about how God's changing their life and healing people and doing crazy cool things. And Matt and Carrie Ann say, you got to come to our church. And Tommy's like, nah, I'm good, you know, appreciate it. And one day he's headed to the gym and he's going to go work out and he says that something kind of tugged at his heart, like, just pull in and go to that movie theater. That's where we were at the time. He says he walks in, and he just feels immediately like, man, this is, this is different. This is cool. He goes, I, I, you know, and one of the funny thing about what he says is, because I'm from Texas and Arkansas, he's like, where did they get this guy? You know, music's great, but this guy right here, like, where'd they get that guy? <laughs> and then he says, you know, but the second week I came back, and I thought, that guy was speaking to me. He read my mail. He knows my story. And again and again, uh, we saw God do great things. And through his life and so many other people's lives. And now I'm a part of a community group with Tommy and his wife, Alina. And it's a fun community group. Of course, there's tons of food there. Of course, we're inviting people to be there. And there's life there. And it started with an invitation. It started when Matt and Carrie Ann said, Let's walk across the street. Let's invite Tommy. Let's invite him. And now there's lots of new people that are part of the church because really God was at work and said to Matt, Matt, just go out of your way. Go walk across the street and invite Tommy. Being a disciple, there's an invitational characteristic of your life. You shouldn't follow Jesus alone. Get people to follow with you. Number five, it's transformational. If you're a Christian, there needs to be transformation. You say, well, how much? I don't know. The criminals on the cross, they pro I don't know how much transformation did they get. I mean, maybe a new heart. God, Jesus regenerated their heart through the power of the Holy Spirit right then and there. Yeah, sure. How much good deeds did they do? Uh, very little. Uh, maybe all they said was, I believe. Jesus is like, that's good enough. You're in. But what's characteristic of us that have life to live? It's transformation. That's why John already said this in John chapter 1, verse 12, yet to all who believed in him, all to who received him, he gave the right to become a child of God. We need a transformation, ladies and gentlemen. We're not just citizens of the United States of America. We're citizens of heaven. We have a new king. We have a new allegiance. 
we have a transformational experience that we must embrace and say, I'm walking away from the old and I'm identifying with the new. And this is exactly what Jesus did with Peter. Look in the text. It says this in verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said, hey, you're Simon, son of John. John was his dad. John's a popular name. Simon's thinking, okay, how'd you know my name? Uh, uh, You're you're, you're pretty spectacular. Uh, You can know my name. And then he says, "Mm, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock, which is really ironic to me because if you know the storyline of Peter, and we'll learn about him more later, uh, a better name for him at that season and stage of his life would have been more like shifty sinking sand. I mean, the guy uh, goes through life, he's very uh, braggadocious, arrogant, he's uh, flaky, Uh, he ends up betraying Christ, Uh, a number of different things about Peter. Uh, You would not call him the rock, and that's what Jesus says to him. Why is that? That's because Jesus looks at his disciples and sees you not just where you are, but where he wants to take you. Jesus looks at you and says, you are becoming this. And I think that's something that you and I need to realize. Lord, what are you changing me into? The person that I'm becoming. I want to transform. There ought to be a decisive transformation in the sense that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts and uh, we've made a a sever and a separation from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, but we still, still will struggle with the presence of sin in this life. But there's a change, there's a transformation. And I can remember as becoming a new believer and Uh, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, there was a transformation that took place in my life. Where there was hate, it was replaced with love. Um, I wanted more more than anything to reconcile with my father. And so I go to my dad and I say, Dad, I'm so sorry for the way I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. And guess what? Jesus did. He transformed all those relationships. I lost a ton of the old friends. I made a ton of new friends. But there's a transformation that takes place in the life and the heart of a disciple. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would apply it. Uh, We have learned about five characteristics of what it means to be a disciple. I pray that we would seek you first above all things, and then all the other things in life will begin to find their place and their priority. But you, number one. Lord Jesus, for those today that are here, and they would say, I confess, I maybe have just been a believer, but not a disciple. Lord, thank you that you stand not with a stone to condemn, but you stand there with the cross to cleanse. You are the mighty God. You're the good and gracious God. Your mercy is new every morning, and today we receive that, and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.